Hey, before we get started, I wanted to let you know that the Women's Social Club chapters are open now in Atlanta, Boston, Charlotte, Chicago, D.C., Denver, Jacksonville, Florida, Memphis, Miami, New York City, Pasadena, California, Wilmington, North Carolina, with multiple chapters in Raleigh, North Carolina, and the surrounding areas. If you're in those cities, come join us at thewomensocialclub.co. And if you don't hear your location, visit our website and click start your own chapter. We'll see you soon and let's get to the show. And so you're just kind of laying on the table like with your arm up and the ultrasound tech and the radiologist were just communicating and like, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, oh my God. I know, I know. Like, can someone translate what that means? I know, but I, I just, I could like feel yes. what that meant. Yes. And then the radiologist was, said, I'm very calmly, I'm going to write down the names and numbers of some breast surgeons. I think you're going, I think you should call and schedule an appointment. So I'm a hustler, streamers, love dealers, I'm that kind of girl. Work hard, play hard, for my own heart, might just rule the world. Welcome to the Women's Social Club, a women supporting women group where we make it easier to connect with new friends and our communities while supporting our local women-owned businesses. I'm Hannah Weisberg, founder and CEO of WSC, and today we're excited to welcome Kaylee Scott live from Taryn Thomas Jewelry in New York City. It's a cool full circle moment because we had our very first pop-up in New York with the Women's Social Club at this very spot. We did a sip and shop as Kaylee shared her personal journey to where she is today, which includes a pretty severe detour on her intended path. So Kaylee is an actress, writer, and digital marketer. Her IMDB credits include Madam Secretary, The Kroll Show, Orange is the New Black, and CSI. She grew up here in New York doing modeling, dancing, and acting, and then moved to LA for seven years before moving back. Last year, she was living her best life vacationing in Florida when things were about to change dramatically. Last year, she was vacationing in Florida when things were about to change dramatically. I had been just truly living my best life in Palm Beach. Like I hadn't told anyone I worked for that I was going to Palm Beach because it didn't matter because I work from home. <laughs> uh, so I was just riding horses and going, getting a really bad sunburn and thinking at the time, like, oh, the sunburn is, I had a dermatology appointment the following week. And I thought, oh, this is embarrassing. And this is probably the worst thing going on in my health right now is this yes. horrifying sunburn that I had. Um, and I flew back on March 10th. And then I had an annual checkup with my PCP on March 11th. And it was a new PCP for me. So she thought, oh, I'll do a full work, like a very thorough appointment. And so she's the one who found the lump in that appointment. And she wasn't sure she thought maybe it could be a cyst, but felt like it was probably worth having imaging done just to make sure. Had you like felt it? Was it like too small where like there's no way you could have found it even if you were? It was pretty small, but so were my breasts. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> So I once once it she felt it, she had me feel it. Then I really felt it. I think 
anytime I had done an exam, I had never done, I will be honest, I had never fully done a self-exam the way you're supposed to, where you, I don't know, like lift your arm in the shower and do the whole thing. I would just kind of like, you know, press yeah. on them, you know, and be yeah. like, oh, I think everything's fine. <laughs> and I think I had felt it, but because my breasts were so small, I was like, oh, is that a problem or is that just like my rib? Like, can yeah. I just like, feel my rib on the other side? Yes. And I think that's what I thought it was. And luckily this was a week or two before the appointment. So it wasn't any, it wouldn't have been a meaning, like it wasn't a meaningful amount of time. Yes. Um, so she had me feel it. I regret now looking back on it. I probably should have had everyone I know also feel it. So they understood the difference. Sorry, <laughs> ladies. Because um, now I have everyone feel my implants. But <laughs> probably would have been more helpful to feel what the lump felt like, especially after finding out that it was a malignancy. But so what did that process look like from there? So once she found it and mm -hmm. was like, you know, just to be safe, let's do this and this, what were those next steps? So because I am proactive, I got, she gave me a prescription for uh, a mammogram and an ultrasound. I called, I think the same day to schedule it. So it took two, you know, well, and nothing's ever available. Like, yeah, very, ever. very soon. So uh, the imaging was on the 25th of March last year. And so they did the imaging and, you know, you go in for the one and then you go wait, then you go back for the other one and then you come out and wait. And I had had a self-imposed scare that was just dense tissue in 2015. Mm -hmm. And in that experience, the doctors, okay, I don't see anything. Like, you're good to go. And then this one, they're like, okay, we're going to have you come back and speak to the radiologist. And I was like, uh-oh. And that radiologist said, you know, I think we're going to have to biopsy it and indicated that it was presenting as a malignancy. And I was like, okay. And so then the mammography tech, like, took me out there like this woman I forget her name this particular woman on the ed, the far end of the check-in desk she's the only one who schedules biopsies you have to go see her and they must just have people flee <laughs> oh my like, god you know like freak out and just like run out the door and not do it because a woman literally like took me by the arm and brought me over to the person who schedules the biopsies wow and and then was very insistent that it be very soon so I was like, well, that doesn't like, That's sound. not comforting. Yeah, yes. I was like, that doesn't seem like it's going to work out. It's working out great for me. So they had it. They managed to schedule it. It was a Friday. They scheduled it for that following Tuesday. So that was March 29th, a year ago, yesterday, as of when we're recording this. And yeah, so I tried to live a normal life in those four days. No. Even, I know. Even though I, I went up to Hudson, I went out to Jersey, I did a photo shoot, Um but, you know, in the back of your mind, you're just like, I might be, like, extremely fucked. Yes. <laughs> and so then that the 29th of March, I went for the biopsy. And, I, like, the vibes were just so off in the room. The ultrasound—so it was an ultrasound-guided one. And so you're just kind of laying on the table, like, with your arm up. And the ultrasound tech and the radiologist were just communicating and, like, mm-hmm points and mm-hmms. I was like, oh. oh my God. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Be it like, is. can someone translate what that means? I know, but I, I just, I could like feel yes. what that meant. Yes. And then the radiologist was, said, 
I'm very calmly, I'm going to write down the names and numbers of some breast surgeons. I think you're going, I think you should call and schedule an appointment. And I was like, okay. As I was just disassociating from my body. And so they wrap up, they ended up doing a biopsy of a lymph node as well. Um, They felt like it was necessary while they were, while, (laughs) while they were in there. So then that wraps up. I go back out to the waiting room, I think. And then the radiologist called me back and we're like, we're sitting in a room with computers and we're looking at the imaging. And he was so like compassionate and kind, but he's explaining to me why it looks like a malignancy. And I was, I was like, I have a theater degree. You know, I appreciate this <laughs> and I'm not an idiot. But I'm never going to understand why this looks like cancer to you. (laughs) I'm never going to know why this looks different than anything else. But he was walking me through it, answered a few questions. I think, you know, my first question is someone who didn't really identify heavily with my breasts. I was like, he's like, so just go ahead, call those breast surgeons, try to make an appointment. If you don't end up needing one, you can cancel it, but go to have one on the books. And I like okay, and is that who does reconstruction? And yeah. he, said, he said, no, but that's the like that's the first step and they'll get yes. you to that person. Yes. Um, and then it was a waiting game. I mean, I spent, because he, you know, all but said, he couldn't, I think, legally say, I think it's cancer. He just never used that yeah. word, but yeah. he was like, you're going to need a breast surgeon. So then I spent the next six days waiting around. Oh my God. For the results. But I sort of knew. So then I just started doing wig consultations because I thought, well, I have to, I have to have long red hair. I mean, that's yes. my, that's my thing. That's and my your signature. identity was yeah, tied up in that. Yes. Totally. My identity was a hundred percent tied up in my hair. So then everyone I did a wig consult with, that's when I found out that you don't necessarily automatically need chemo when you have cancer. I just thought you did. I thought you have cancer, you get chemo. That's how it goes. Uh, but all of them were very sweet. Nobody would sell me a wig. Thank goodness. I mean, I did end up needing chemo, but nobody would sell me a wig that day. They said, okay, definitely get the results first. Find out if you need chemo. See what your options are. You can get a prescription for a wig. You don't have to pay full price. They yes. so they were actually very helpful, but that's all I could do because um, you really can, or in my experience, nowhere I tried to make an appointment. Could you do it? They could put you in the system, but they said they actually needed the pathology before they could schedule the appointment. Mm-hmm. So I just waited until April 4th is the day that I received the my chart notification. Oh my God. <laughs> Is that literally how you found out? Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Luckily, I I knew. Like you had it. Like yeah. at this point, it was pretty clear. It was pretty clear, but they don't. There's no my chart. There's no. That's like being broken up with with the post-it, it is, like Sex it and is. the City. Like that should not be a thing. Yeah, and I think legally, my chart has to release it to you right away because the whole point is that folks were waiting too long for their doctors to call them. But then there's no way to prevent them from giving you very bad news via my chart. So I got the, I received the notification when I woke up in the morning and it was also my mom's birthday. So that was a whole different thing. But, um, 
I received the notification and I thought like, do I check it now? Do I, obviously the doctor will call me, but do I check it now? Kind of no, at least that way I can start making appointments. Do I wait for the doctor to call me? So I just checked it, downloaded it, was able to get some appointments going. So when he called me around 1 p.m. that day, which is no shade to him, that's just the time that he has carved out in his schedule to make these calls, um, he started to walk me through things. And at that point I was like, so he had said, so what might happen is you're going to see a breast surgeon. The breast surgeon is might want more imaging. They might want a breast MRI. And I said, well, I want a mastectomy. And he was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a very fair decision. You're young. You don't want to go through imaging every three to six months, the rest of your life. So, you know, that was week at some point concluded our, our phone call and, you wow. know, from there it just took off. Um, and I have a friend who some of us know, Meredith, who also had breast cancer wow. and she ended up connecting me with her surgeon and, um, that's who I chose. Did they know like what kind of breast cancer it was? Like, was it estrogen mm -hmm. related? Yeah. Yeah. So the biopsy told them that much. Okay. But I didn't have full staging until. So because it was hormone receptor positive, they do the surgery first. Whereas with other kinds or later stage, they would do this. Um, they would often do chemo first mm -hmm. and then surgery. So mine was surgery first. They could tell it was early enough and it was hormone receptor positive. So, uh, and I was choosing a mastectomy. So I had that May 10th of How did year. you decide that? Like, was it a very clear decision when you knew, okay, this is likely going to be what happens? Well, in 2018, when two people that I knew, no, three people that I knew had breast cancer in 2018. Oh my goodness. Yeah. At that point, and all of them were doing mastectomies. And at that point I thought I would too. I also have so much health anxiety that I think I needed to for my mental health. Mm -hmm. Same, yeah. <laughs> like not have breast tissue anymore. So that was not a difficult decision for me. Yes. I actually never thought that I would get breast cancer because I have no history of any cancer in my family. I was sure something would like take me down, but I didn't think it was no. going to be that. Um, but at least I'd already made the decision randomly in 2018. So that part was... And then, and then at that point I was like, I just when can I have my surgery? I want it out now. Yes. Have there been certain points that you've gone through or that you're continuing to go through that have been more challenging for you specifically, like personally than others? You know, the worst, the only real mentee bee that I had in the whole process was I decided to cold cap, which is a technique that attempts to save, preserve your hair mm -hmm. during chemotherapy. It's not perfect. It's not a perfect science. And it really depends on the kind of chemotherapy you have. I know someone else who had a different kind of protocol and her doctor said, it's probably, you can try it. It's probably not going to do anything. It has a very low success rate for the kind she had. For the kind I had, it's like a moderate success rate. I think they consider 60% yeah. hair preservation to be a success. Um, some proto some chemo protocols, it can save up to 90%, which I think at that point you wouldn't even be able to tell the difference. 
at 60%, you probably could. I think it saved about 30% of my hair, which meant you, it, it wasn't, you couldn't, you can't wear that out. I mean, no, you can, yeah. you can, and you should be proud of it, but, um, not if the whole point is that you're yes. trying to look like there's nothing going on. Yes. So I think it was, I only had to do four rounds of chemo. And I think it was my third that they said, <laughs> oh, it's really not working that well. And at this point, it could cause more harm than good. We don't want to yeah. burn the the follicles. But the one chemotherapy drug I was on, Taxotere, does have a very slight, like 2% to 10%, depending on who you ask, the pharmaceutical company or oh, yeah. the studies, uh, risk of permanent alopecia. Right. So that's why I lost it. It wasn't losing because the nurses said, oh my gosh, I know, I know, I know it'll grow back. And it was like, it might not. Yes. That is a totally reasonable response. Yeah. And so I had an, I just, they, luckily I went to a place in New York called the Dubin Breast Center, which is part of the Tisch Cancer Institute of Mount Sinai. And they have private chemo, private infusion rooms. So you're not in a big group. Um, which is great for the pandemic, great for having a meltdown. Yes. <laughs> great for just being an introvert who wants to relax with the intravenous Benadryl. So they gave me like 20 minutes. Um, and I did a little bit of research and called a couple people and decided essentially they can they can wrap your they can wrap your head with gauze, which creates the barrier that your hair would create to keep it from oh, getting too cold. Uh-huh. And then they dialed down the cap a little bit. So at that point, the goal was to just preserve the follicle and its ability to actually produce yes. hair and not worry about the strands. So that's what we did for the third and fourth rounds of chemo. Wow. So that was hard. And then I always had really good eyelashes and they hung on until two weeks after my final chemo and then they all fell out. And that was such a bummer. It's so hard. Like I can't, you were talking earlier how your hair mm -hmm. just even before this was a huge part of your identity and your hair is beautiful today and it is growing. Mm -hmm. Is it something that you have a different relationship with now? Has it changed? I think what's changed is I was sort of forced to dismantle the patriarchal view of hair on women. Mm -hmm. And because I always, I always had, aside from one time when I got a, I got a pixie cut when I was seven and then I was never that bold again. <laughs> <laughs> And then I completely just wanted to conform to the societal standards of femininity and have long hair. And I loved my long hair. And my identity really was tied heavily into having long red hair. And I mean, I still have red hair and now it's short red hair. And I don't think I'm going to grow it out again. Really? But don't hold me to it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm really enjoying short hair. And I think it's an interesting sociological experiment, like walking down the street and having people perceive you as someone who might choose something like this, whether it's maybe like it's an inch or so now, but even when it was a real buzz cut, the whole process yeah. of being perceived as someone b like bold enough and cool enough 
to choose it where in, you know, obviously like on the inside, I am just a basic white bitch with long hair. I can so relate to that feeling. (laughs) Totally. I do feel like you do have just from following you online and getting to be a part of watching you and cheering you on through this process. There is this whole nother level of confidence, I Mm -hmm. feel, um, that you're able to speak to and you carry with you. And it's very inspiring. Thank you. Yeah, there is something about having short hair. I do recommend it to anyone. (laughs) Everyone's staring at me like, but I don't know if you just have to be confident because you sort of do have to be like, I'm walking down the street like this. Let's go. Yes. So you've mentioned a few of your friends through this process. So Mm -hmm. talk to us a little bit about your support systems and relationships that have really been a big part of you going through this journey. I would say, I think a lot of times people say that you, well, you do see people's true colors during something like this. A lot of people lose friends during cancer. And I think I I lost one, but it was, it was like a, it was kind of an on the fringes person anyway. So that was really fine. Um, I was very lucky that I had a lot of people really step up and, and be there, whether it was texting, sending things. Um, those are the two main things that you can really do for someone is it's hard. It's hard when you're going through something to know what you need. Cause you yes. don't really have the mental energy to like, okay, what can I like give this person to what task can I assign to someone? Um, so I really did have a lot of people just check in and say, Hey, I know you have chemo today. How's it going? Or just randomly send food or flowers or whatever it was. And that's always helpful. Um, it is still lovely and thoughtful when people say, what can I do for you? It's just hard. Cause you're like, I don't, I honestly don't know. Yes. <laughs> I have no idea what I need in this moment. And then the funny thing is I was thinking about this recently, I was speaking to another friend who didn't have cancer, but has been on a completely bonkers health journey herself. And I was like, everyone was so lovely and accommodating. I totally get why celebrities get very used to that because it's, it is so nice. (laughs) Like people just make it very easy for you to participate in things and, and make sure that you're, Someone will drive you mm-hmm. and you don't, you don't have to think about the logistics. People are very willing to take care of that for you, which is so great. And I can't even blame anyone, like people for being divas because I'm like, no, no, no. I mean, you don't understand how cool it is <laughs> to have everyone figure everything out for you. Obviously, now I'm coming out of that and I have to be a, a big girl. <laughs> And get places on my own and that's fine. And I'd rather like be healthy (laughs) and have to sort out my own travel. But that's really funny. It was really nice. (laughs) (laughs) So do that for your friends. If they have cancer, just be there. Dote on them. Yes. Take make take care of the logistics of things. Yeah. Because like you're saying, your mental capacity to think through anything. I can't even imagine like pretty low. Yes. And then chemo messes with your brain. It Mm. causes brain fog, which I didn't have too terribly bad. But then again, 
did I, you know, I would be, I don't have chemo brain. I don't have chemo brain. And then I would just lose my, I would get lost in the middle of a sentence. And so you were like, maybe a little. Maybe it is. Maybe I do have chemo brain. <laughs> I had to accept at some point that I probably did because I didn't do that before and I don't do that now. So where are you at currently now in the process? I had my reconstruct. So I had a mastectomy May 10th mm-hmm. and then I did chemo July through September. And then I was supposed to have my reconstruction in mid-November. However, I, I did get covid so I don't know how. I think I took the COVID diagnosis worse than the cancer because I felt like, which doesn't sound normal, but I think, you know, you, you try to be healthy, you know, you try to do things or avoid things that are known carcinogens. But at the end of the day, you're like, okay, this ha- this yeah. happens sometimes to people. Whereas COVID, I was like, no, I understand how not to get it. And I did all of those things and I still got it. Uh, so that was really upsetting. And then it moved my surgery until, to right before the holidays. Oh. So I had my surgery, my reconstruction surgery on December 19th. Um, and it's great. I think sometimes you need revisions, knock wood. It seems like uh, this is fine. And, uh, and at least at this point, there's mm-hmm. nothing to be revised. Uh, so at this point, I'm just on maintenance meds. So because my cancer was hormone receptor positive, I'm on what's called Lupron, which is actually what's in the depot shot. Um, I'm probably on a different protocol. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But I get a monthly shot, which just shuts down my ovaries. And then I take an aromatase inhibitor. So I am in medical menopause, which I do recommend. (laughs) It's great. (laughs) Hot flashes are a little inconvenient. I haven't had anything. I haven't like sweat through my clothes. Right. I've heard horror stories of women going through natural menopause. I don't know if there's, I don't know what the different experiences are, how surgical, which is when the ovaries are removed versus medical, when the ovaries are shut down versus natural, which is just anyone who has ovaries and a uterus, um, you know, and they get older, but it's very liberating to not have to menstruate. Um, (laughs) yes, I can. Oh my gosh. Between that and the short hair, I'm like, no wonder men have so much time (laughs) (laughs) to run companies and countries. (laughs) So one of the things that you've been hugely active in during this process is partnering up with different organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, last year, we were hoping to do an event in October, yeah. and it didn't work out. We were trying to find venues, and I was working on building my team here, and now we actually have a team here, thank goodness. So hopefully this October, we can start That'd planning soon. Um, but one of the things I was able to do was meet your friend, Betsy. Um, and she is the one who owns the Get In Touch Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the one I know the most about that you're affiliated with. And I think one of the coolest things, like you were mentioning earlier, when you were doing your self-breast exam, mm-hmm. kind of thinking, was that something? And not really knowing the proper way. So the Get In Touch Foundation, literally their whole messaging is around how to properly mm-hmm feel and know your body and what's normal and what to ask questions about and things like that. So how did you meet Betsy? 
I met Betsy. It's so funny. And sorry, Betsy, that I didn't kind of do a breast <laughs> self-exam because I did meet her in 2019. So well before um, uh, breast cancer was really on my radar as something that could impact me in a real way. She and I met, there's a, a place called the Tia Clinic, and it's a women's health and wellness reimagined. So you can get a pap smear, but you can also get acupuncture, hmm. sort of a whole body, mm-hmm. whole mind and body. And in 2019, Betsy and I are both members and they had groups. They really wanted to foster community among their members. I don't really know how that's changed. Obviously, I'm sure the pandemic really impacted that. So I don't know where they are with that now, but they had they would have various social um, social events to foster that community. And that's how Betsy and I met. We met, we started talking. And ironically, in September of that year, they were just about to launch the Daisy Will app, which is the app version that they have that helps walk you through the breast self-exam and I believe helps you track it as well to make sure that you're feeling it on the first. Um, and so I did the I did a photo shoot for the Daisy Will app. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was crazy. part of the campaign that launched it wow. in 2019. That's amazing. We had um, a a breast care event in October in Raleigh. And one of the things they brought were like the simulated like breast tissue that you could like fill around on. And it, they had different lumps and bumps hidden in there. And like, how, like how many did you feel in this one? Like all of these kinds of things. And we went through and it was similar to the daisy wheel approach Mm -hmm. of how to properly, which we'll link to all of this um, in the notes. So you'll be able to reference it. It's a great way to learn how to properly, properly do that. I have very dense breast tissue myself. As did I. So I have lumps and bumps. I mean, since I was 18, I had surgery when I was 18 for my first biopsy. Mm -hmm. So I've had mammograms and um, ultrasounds every six months for, gosh, as long as I can remember. Um, I've only had one of the scary situations Mm -hmm. where they call you back. And I was here in New York when they called me to come back. And I was like, oh, no. Like... Because having lumps and bumps, you're like, this is the normal process. Um, And also, it makes it very hard to know. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's why I find comfort in going every six months because I wouldn't know. I mean, I've done the self-exams, so, but I feel like it's very hard to tell. I know. They always say oatmeal versus peanuts, and I never really knew Mm. what that meant. Until kind of until I felt it, but honestly, I felt the when my doctor said, I want you to feel it so you know it's there and you know what it feels like. And if it's a cyst, then we, you know, if it changes, then and I felt it that one time and then that was it. So I can't, I can't even be a good resource yeah. for the difference, but I've heard oatmeal versus peanuts like oatmeal is fine and a peanut is a problem that you should at least maybe it's fine, but it's something you should address. But um, yeah, and they just now mandated, it's not in effect until 2024, that women or people who have dense breast tissue actually have to be alerted in a meaningful way that 
you have dense breast tissue. This makes it more difficult to Mm -hmm. see a cancer. It also increases your risk for cancer. Mm -hmm. And they finally regulated that people will have to be told because I I had been told, but in a way where it was an, it was almost observational. It felt like, oh, you have dense breast tissue. And I was like, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Like I thought it just meant that they were perky or something. I didn't know. I had no idea of the implications. So that's a good thing that I think fall of 2024 will is when the reporting will begin. So what does taking ownership of your health now versus before look like? Does it look different? Luckily, I was so proactive. Mm-hmm. I think if anything, I've spoken with um, a friend who I've made through this whole experience and if anything, I, I try to be a little less alarmist because you have to remember, oh, sometimes your body hurts or sometimes your stomach's upset. And rather than calling the doctor, yes, me like I have to come in, you have to do a test. It's like, let me just, let me just see if maybe this You is, had some bad Chinese Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, maybe it was the salmon that I yes. bought from, from, you know, fairway that yes. maybe wasn't fresh. So- I think, obviously, though, if something continues to be a problem, I still address it. So I don't know that it's changed that much. Uh, I was always pretty aware of my body, and I try to just maintain that while finding balance and making sure that I'm not dismissing anything, but also just remembering that bodies are weird. And sometimes they do weird things, or sometimes they hurt. Mm-hmm. And it's only if it's a pattern or it doesn't go away that it's a problem. Because when I was in chemo, I was calling my oncologist a lot. <laughs> oh, yes. I can imagine. I've And everybody, like you said, their reactions are different. The way that you process and metabolize medicine is different. Mm-hmm. So, and, and it's not like you can call. I mean, there aren't other people. Like with COVID, I feel like everyone could be like, well, this is what happened to me. Like this mm-hmm. is, so you have people to call. So I can understand in that situation for sure. Yeah. Calling and being like, so is this like a normal situation? Normal? Yes. Yeah. I had a bump on my rib, which ended up being necrotic fat. And I call my oncologist's office. I have to come in. I have to, it was right before Thanksgiving. I have to come see you. And they're like, okay. So I go in and he just thought I was there for my three-month visit, which was the following week. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, 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 no. I think this needs to be biopsied. And he felt it. And he was like, oh, it doesn't feel suspicious, which is the term that they use, suspicious versus not suspicious. No, this doesn't feel suspicious at all. And then he sort of moved on with the appointment and I let him. And then I said, but can you just feel it again and make sure? So by the third time that I asked him to feel this weird tiny bump, he recommended very kindly and compassionately. He's like, well, since you had COVID and you didn't have your reconstruction yet, you could probably ask your plastic surgeon to remove it during that surgery. I'm sure he would. So uh, that's what I did. Yeah. (laughs) So then it's out of sight, out of mind. I immediately went to my plastic surgeon's office. I was like, can you take this off too? My oncologist isn't concerned about it, but I do want it gone. And he was like, sure, we'll run surgical pathology on it, but that's fine. He's like, you, 
you'll have a scar though. And I was like, I mean, at this point, <laughs> you're like, let's, yeah. <laughs> like, one of many, sir, one of many. <laughs> what resources do you use now for like mental health, physical health, things like that to, to keep healthy? Well, I have a therapist, which everyone should. Uh, I believe everyone should. Um, I also, there's this wonderful woman, Angela Trimber. She's an actress and choreographer. She had breast cancer in her late 30s in 2018. So she puts together groups every so often on the app Marco Polo of young women under the age of 40 who have breast cancer at various stages. You know, it doesn't have to be a new diagnosis. Um, so she fosters community that way, which is amazing. She also does dance classes, which are for everyone, which I highly recommend if you're in the city. She does a dance aerobics class, which is 80s themed. Oh, fun. It's very fun. She does ballet core where everyone dresses up as if you're six years old going to ballet <laughs> class. And it's all very, it's chore, there's choreography, but it's very low stress. It's here's what the choreography is, but also who cares? If yeah. you don't get it, then flail your arms because it'll look the same. Yeah. So that is, that is both like physical and mental health. You know, exercise is good for your body and exercise, is hel exercise helps reduce your risk of recurrence um, for breast cancer, which has been great because now every time I pay for a class or buy new workout clothes, I'm like, it's for my health. Yes. <laughs> I have to. <laughs> so what is the most important thing for you that other women listening to this take away from your experience? I would say I felt very lucky that every doctor I went to, A, listened to me and what I wanted and didn't try to talk me out of a mastectomy and into a lumpectomy or my PCP. I didn't have to fight her to, she didn't say, let's watch it for three months. So I would say just self-advocate. If you feel like something's wrong or you just want peace of mind, ask your doctor. If they don't want to run a test, ask them why. Ask them to put in your chart that you asked for it and why they said that you don't need it. Because most of the time, if you are, if they are asked to write in your chart that they are denying you something, they'll then just write you the prescription. That's good to do it. Mm -hmm. And so just because it's better to get a biopsy and find out that it's nothing than to just be worried or to have them watch it every three months only to then eventually say we should biopsy it and it's something malignant. It's, you know, the earlier you can detect something, the better. So just always self-advocate. And if a doctor isn't listening to you, there are other doctors. And I know that I'm, that's sort of a privileged position in New York City where that's very true. And mm -hmm. certainly in remote areas, it's less true. But um, yeah, just self-advocate and just go somewhere else if you can, if you're not being listened to. Well, thank you so much for sharing such um, detail about your experience. I feel like it's so helpful as a woman to hear a very specific journey and experience of someone who has recently gone through something and sharing it with us so openly because I definitely believe it will save other people's lives for sure. I hope so. If you feel something that you think is your rib, just go have a doctor confirm it. Yes. It might not be. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. This is great. And I went shopping, so it worked <laughs> out for me too. Yes.
Thank you so much to Kaylee for sharing such a personal experience. I feel like it's so helpful as a woman to hear a very specific journey and experience of someone who has recently gone through something and sharing it with us so openly. I definitely believe it will save other people's lives. You can read more about Kaylee at her website at projectself.me or follow her on Instagram at Kaylee Scott and even her IMDb page. And a few ways to follow Women's Social Club. One, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. And two, you can visit thewomensocialclub.co and find the community that's closest to you. If there's nothing close to you, please let us know. And third, follow us on social media where you'll find clips of this podcast as well as Women's Social Club's events throughout the country. We're at Women's Social Club on both Instagram and TikTok and at The Women's Social Club on Facebook. This podcast is edited and produced by Earfluence. I'm Hannah Weisberg, and on behalf of everyone at The Women's Social Club, we can't wait to welcome you into our sisterhood. We'll see you again soon with the next episode.